Good morning, good evening, wherever you are across the world and the universe. Welcome to my Quantum Living Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything at the intersection of science and spirituality. I'm your host, Anna Anderson, quantum coach, Reiki master, intuitive counselor, and above all, an inquisitive soul. Since my early childhood, I've been on the quest to find out how life really works. And the best clue I've got so far is the sacred alchemy of physics and metaphysics, science and spirituality, mind, body and spirit, which together reveal the truths we all want to know. Who am I? Why am I here? What is life all about? How can I live my life to realize my highest potential with fulfillment, prosperity and joy? How can I manifest what I want? I'd love to share with you on this podcast what I have learned over the years and bring you inspiring conversations with my guests who will share their expertise as well. So sit back, relax and enjoy today's episode. Okay, let's begin. Hello and welcome back to Quantum Living. Today's episode is one of the nine weekly bonus episodes I am releasing during the Christmas and New Year festive season, in addition to the regular episodes coming out every second Wednesday. These bonus episodes were first published on my podcast a few years ago, and later on, at some point, they were removed from the RSS feed as the production was somewhat outdated. I have now decided to bring them back to you, refreshed and remastered in line with my current production framework. The quality of the conversations, insight, humor and deep thought, however, is the same. You might notice perhaps a different style of my interviewing, a different pace or approach, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. After all, This is not about me, but about the contribution of those guests to the narrative of the intersection of science and spirituality in the field of their expertise. What they have shared with me and you on these podcasts is timeless, relevant, often profound, entertaining and fun. (laughs) So sit back and enjoy these bonus interviews And if you like, please drop me a line on my podcast website about your experience. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, let's begin. Let me introduce my special guest, Peter Smith. Peter, or Pete as he prefers to be called, is a pioneer in the field of human consciousness, a certified hypnotherapist and author. He was the president of the Michael Newton Institute for Life Between Lives for 10 years. In 2013, Pete founded the Institute for Quantum Consciousness to pursue new research into expanded states of awareness in the world of quantum realities with their spiritual dimension. He has written numerous articles and published two books, Hypnoenergetics, The Four Dimensions, and Quantum Consciousness, Journey Through Other Realms, which we will draw on in this conversation. Hello, Pete. Welcome to Quantum Living. 
I hope that this mysterious space at the intersection of quantum science and spirituality feels like home to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Anna. It's lovely to be here. And yeah, we're going to talk about everything in the universe today, I guess. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. I'd like to start by quoting your opening remarks in the introduction to your quantum consciousness book. There is an archetypal story called The Hero's Journey. It can be employed and engaged with as inspiration for becoming an agent of one's own life's journey, reaching one's ultimate potential and finding fulfillment. Ultimately, there are three stages to the story. The leaving of a familiar to answer a call, the navigation of new, unfamiliar world of adventure, and finally the return to the start point, as a person forever changed. My story is not a hero's journey, as I have failed to deliver on the third step. You see, I am never coming back. I have found my world of adventure, and I've decided to stay here. And further in the book, the real challenge this offers to those who have the courage to wake up is that there is no going back. Once you become a seeker, you will never be a finder. You will continue to seek and move forwards on some form of hero's journey that never ends. What was your call, your inspiration to pursue this adventure, and what is your perspective from out there, your new world, on what life is all about? You know, Anna, I always have felt that there was more to life than what we'd been shown. And I think all of us hold that knowing within us. And it's part of the courage to be that explorer that brings a depth, a fulfillment, a richness of life. And for me, it was a huge change as a, an old corporate person. And, you know, I had 23 years in banking. And to leave the world of banking and to enter the world of consciousness and exploration, healing, um, originally started as a therapist, became a teacher, an author, etc., to throw a traditional life away that had all the trimmings of success, to leave that behind and step into something brand new is uh, both exciting and terrifying at the same time. But you can't escape the call of your soul. We are called to do what we came here to do at a level that is so deep that it's hard to explain to others. But there's a knowing that it's the path that you should take and it comes at a cost with different um, family, friends, they all sort of uh, look at you a little bit strangely. But when you offer something to people that changes their life, then you see your fulfilment in their eyes and you hear of the changes in their lives. And that's what makes it all worthwhile. So, you know, for, for my mind, uh, this is a, a time when all of us need to pursuing our inner callings and leaving the old behind in order to build the new. When we all do that, the world will be a different place. Was there a specific point in time or an event or inspiration that put you on this path? Perhaps a couple along the way. The first was back in my corporate days, I was a very stressed young executive in my late 20s, you know, a couple of hundred people I was looking after. And I went to my local GP who was a relaxer therapist as well as a GP, she told us. 
And she'd put me into my first ever hypnotic trance and took me away from the noise of life and set me free into a meadow. There were flowers, grass, trees. It was just phenomenal. And she showed me that there was a whole inner world that I could access that fundamentally changed my life. So when she, when she showed me that and I was off in that world, she came back, you know, she put me into this beautiful recliner chair out the back of her little clinic up in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. She came back to me and she brought me back from this world and, and I was a little bit annoyed. I said, well, why'd you do that? I was only there five minutes. And she said, you've been there for over half an hour. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness, what is this? I remember going home to the little house that we had up there at that time. And uh, I sat in the garden and, and the grass looked greener and the flowers looked brighter. The sky was more blue. Everything was more vibrant. And I found there's another way to come at life that expresses more of who we are that is beyond the noise. And I guess that was a big one for me. A second one was when I was shown a, a photograph of my great-grandfather when I was about 25 and I saw a photograph of him of the same age and he looked identical. Wow. And it was like, you know, is this just the gene pool? Or, you know, someone had told me about reincarnation and that sort of stuff. And I said, well, what if you come back and you look the same? So then you start reading, you start looking at all of these different things. Ultimately, I found a past life therapist who took me on some incredible journeys. And as the old banker that I was, I needed to understand for myself that this was real. So I went and did the analysis. I did the research and I found that other lifetime found the evidence that showed me that it was real. And once I proved it for myself, I knew it was true for everybody. And that's when I really surrendered further into this work in a way that answered a calling of my soul, the likes of which everybody has the opportunity to experience. And I hope they do. What if the new world you have found on your journey is so far away, so remote, so different from this consensus reality and has changed you so much that people around you in this world can't understand you or relate to you anymore and vice versa? You become an outcast, which I guess is a journey of every pioneer. How do you bridge the gap or do you? Being a trailblazer is a, um, at times, a lonely profession, though it's the people that you meet uh, who are blazing trails in parallel and the exchange of um, perspective, information, wisdom with those people is far more powerful than any small talk you might have with old friends. One thing I'd offer as well is that, and, and here's an example that's only a day old, you know, many years ago when my kids were in high school, I, I did some volunteer work at the high school and, you know, parent groups and all of that. And I uh, met a lady there who came back like maybe 10 years later and contacted me and said, um, I remember meeting you at, at the high school 10 years ago and I've just read your book and she really wanted to catch up. So even though we might, some of those people who uh, we knew long ago, they're on the path too. And it's like they circle around and you meet up later on. 
And we had the most amazing conversation yesterday that you never would have seen at a parents' group at high school, I can tell you that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think it's the pure nature of consciousness to want to evolve. And we are walking, living and breathing consciousness. So within us is this embedded um, program's the wrong thing. It sounds too much like IT for me. But there's there's like a, a calling within us to continue to explore and to evolve. And when we deny that, I feel we get sick, we get disenchanted uh, when we don't answer that call. And when we surrender to it, it gives us the ride of our life. And we're no longer in charge of our own destiny. We're in the hands of a power greater than us, which still is us. But it takes us in a direction that we're meant to be for a higher purpose and a greater plan that we're all part of. Absolutely. But I like to point out a paradox here. If we don't remember our multidimensional nature and our soul contract for each incarnation by design so that we can learn and grow by making choices, How come we are now allowed to access this information, travel through other realities and find out what we are here to do and perhaps even alter our present reality? Isn't this in contradiction to the initial objective of our soul not to remember? Great question. I've got a little saying that I offer to people every now and then and that is, you know, whilst we may not understand our soul, Our soul understands us. In fact, our soul chose us out of almost 8 billion people on this planet. We were handpicked by our soul to be us in this beautiful duality of the spiritual being, having the human experience. Now, the beauty and the wonder of that is that we are loved and supported by that single act of unconditional love uh, in ways that defy imagination. So my little saying goes, every moment of every day, your soul knows exactly what it's doing, even if we don't. So my exploration into consciousness work, uh, we'll probably talk at the Life Between Lives stuff at some point, but having taken, I don't know, probably 800 people, I think now, I haven't really kept count, just rough estimates for the research of our institute. But, you know, about 800 people have gone into these beautiful in-between spaces and talked from their soul. And I've often asked the question because they've uh, offered me the opportunity to ask a question or two while I'm in there if I, or they've wanted to know themselves. Why are we able to access these places now? Why can we, you know, find ourselves out into these different realms of consciousness, whether it be between lives, past lives, alternate realities, etc.? The answer that comes back is quite specific and very standard. And it's that it's time for us here on this planet to understand that there is more to us than we know. It's time for that which has been hidden to now come from behind the veil and to show us that we are so much more than we believe ourselves to be. We're in the middle of a great awakening for humanity. And the only way that we're going to be able to awaken collectively is if, if we as individuals awaken. And the combination, it's the old particle and the wave thing. You know, all the particles heading in the same direction become the wave. When we awaken and we all start to move towards a greater awareness of our spirituality, our place in the, in the universe, our, our cosmic roots, our divine state of being, once we all step, start to step more into that, 
the whole of humanity will look at things differently and we'll be able to create the world that we truly deserve. Okay, let's now dive right into the essence of our conversation. What is quantum consciousness? And could you include in your answer an overview of the four concepts fundamental to the essence of quantum consciousness? The observer effect, non-locality, entanglement, and the holographic nature of the universe. I'd love to, and um, um Quantum consciousness is not my term. Many people use the term quantum consciousness. And there's a couple other books floating around out there with that in the title. And so I want to offer the listeners my perspective of what that means. Quantum, for me, is the science of possibilities. Finally, we have science talking about alternate realities, you know, string theory, um, 11 different dimensions or 12 or 13, depending on whether you're talking about string theory, super string theory, M theory. Any of these are now starting to acknowledge that there is more than just this third dimensional reality. You know, they talk about time being the fourth dimension. Then Einstein tells us time is an illusion. And then when you do age regression as a, as a hypnotherapist, you understand that you do past lives and you realize time is malleable and can be manipulated under the, the, the hands of a, of a seasoned practitioner of consciousness. So all of these different dimensions are out there. We talk about wormholes. We talk about black holes. All of this stuff is coming out of the world of science, quantum physics in, uh, in particular. So for me, quantum is the science of possibility. Now, consciousness, I believe, is the fabric of the universe itself. So when you put the possibilities of the fabric of the universe together, you come up with quantum consciousness. So that's really my term. It's... Um, in my heart, I know it to be a limitless term, but I know that we have limited understanding whilst in human form. So we need something that embraces a bit of the science, more of as a springboard than anything, to allow us to move out into our consciousness, to give us permission to be who we really are, and then to surf the universe in our awareness while our physical body becomes this beautiful portal through which we do so. So that's generally the concept around quantum uh, consciousness. To use that springboard, we drew four aspects of quantum physics together and we added consciousness to them to make the four aspects of quantum consciousness. You mentioned the observer effect and people that listen to your show no doubt have heard of the double slit experiment. They've heard about the particle and the wave, all of that. It's been well documented over the years. So, you know, there's something about the observing something, you can actually affect it. And that's been known by known by scientists for maybe 100 years. So we take that and we add our intention to it and we move from the observer effect to the creator effect. And we are told that we can manifest possibilities in our lives and, you know, we could tell some stories about that. In the interest of time, I'll, I'll just move to the next one. But we know that we create our own reality and we affect the, universe, the, the uh, environments around us through our own thoughts. Bruce Lipton's work. Is great on this with the biology of belief and some of his other work. If we look at the the second of those, we draw on the, the principle of non-locality. Non-locality in quantum physics tells us that uh, everything exists in its possibilities until that collapse of the wave function. Um, there's a whole other 
It's a whole other theory about how it moves into the multiverse instead of collapsing the wave, but let's stay with the wave function for now. Non-locality tells us that everything exists in its possibilities until that collapse of the wave function, as I mentioned before. So that means that we can be anywhere and do anything. Now, we can create not just what that reality is, but how and where it exists. Now, we call that using the non-locality and, and subatomic particles. They know from Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that you try and measure the mass of these things. You can't get their velocity. If you measure their velocity, you can't get their mass. That's the whole concept of, of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. But what that means to me, trying to leave all the science behind, because once the springboard's complete, it's complete. We just exist in our every awareness. And our awareness is everywhere, traveling on an ocean of consciousness. And through our intention, our creator effect, we can go anywhere to discover, any, discover anything that we can. So that's the second one. The third is quantum entanglement. And this is you know, very well documented out of quantum physics. Einstein once called it spooky action at a distance, I think. But everything that has a relationship in the universe stays connected. You know, if you, you think about that person and they send you a text message or you haven't heard from so-and-so for a while, they call you up. This is the sort of stuff that happens in the entangled universe in which we reside. Our concept of entanglement with an I instead of an E is that we are entangled with all of our other selves. As the multidimensional being that I am, I am completely quantumly entangled with all other lifetimes that I've ever had past, present and future, any um, expressions of my unique and individual consciousness that is held anywhere else in the universe, um, I am entangled with those. They reside within me. My, you know, I'm 56, I think. Um, I've lost count. But, you know, my five-year-old is still within me. My 18-year-old is still within me. My 40-year-old is still within me. So, you know, we are not bound by time and space. We're bound by our belief systems. So we are entangled with all of these other selves with whom we can learn from and even offer assistance to if we need to. And the fourth principle is the holographic universe. And, you know, um, there's a lot of theories about um, is the universe a hologram? Um, are we, is it sort of uh, a large and the small are the same, which is the principle that I most, I most love in this one. The holographic universe really tells us that you know, the large and the small are the same. And we even see displays of this in the human body. Uh, iridology, reflexology, you know, the, the eye and the hands and feet, they represent the other body parts. Uh, we are a community of 50 trillion cells. Each of them have um, their own membrane. Okay, so they've got a brain. They've got a, um, a digestive system. Uh, they work together in communities. Uh, they create um, illness and then healing and in this beautiful biological model that we are, but they are held together by consciousness itself because they're made of these subatomic particles. So the holographic universe gives us these incredible possibilities, the large and the small are the same. So we no longer feel minuscule. We can be um, the universe in ecstatic motion, as Rumi says. And he also says, you know, we're both uh, the drop in the ocean and we are the ocean itself. So the potential for this work is that let's say, for example, I carry a pattern from another lifetime where I've been persecuted for doing some dodgy healing work in the, the church or the soldiers didn't like it and it didn't end well for me. You know, that might have happened 20 times. We don't have to go to 20 past lives. We just need to bring one forward. 
and raise their vibration to one of healing and then send it out to all the others in true holographic fashion. The small and the large are the same. And this has been fundamental in helping people to clear long-term patterns out of their soul lineage that set them free from what they're feeling in this life that doesn't have a source here. And I refer to those as quantum echoes across time and space. So that's a big answer, but the creator effect, everywhereness, entanglement and holographic healing are those four aspects of the essence of quantum consciousness. Beautifully and simply explained. Thank you, Peter. But I'm curious, in practical terms, if our consciousness is everywhere, why don't we have a quote-unquote conscious awareness of this multiple existence, multidimensional existence, and why do we need to switch from one to another if we wish to explore them? Why is it so difficult for us to have a simultaneous experience of being in more than one place in multiple realities on different timelines let me offer you a model that might make sense to our listeners and i try and keep this stuff simple anna because you know um it just blows your mind a lot of the time uh, <laughs> if you don't try and keep it simple let's just say everything is energy and the whole universe is built on an infrastructure of energy what brings that infrastructure to life is consciousness Okay, it's like the, the fabric of the character, the, the, the color and the, the texture of the universe is this overlay of consciousness that goes across this energy framework. And then our awareness is what travels around that consciousness. If we are consciousness, we are everywhere anyway. And what we simply do is we take our awareness to these different aspects of our being because we create an intention to do so. Like uh, somebody might want to say, you know, what's uh, what's happened? Uh, my right foot just won't heal. And it might be metaphorically about stepping forward. It might be about uh, an injury in another lifetime. It might be about that's where they hold their trauma from their childhood. It might be that they're being called to view a, um, a life on another planet where they don't have feet. I mean, to, to actually move into the vibration of what's happening in their ankle and set them free to explore that in any way they want to is what allows that to happen. So I believe that through our own intention, we can explore at a state that we are ready to do so. Now, the universe works on those principles of energy, consciousness and awareness, also works on one other really important one for my mind, and that's free will. If somebody chooses not to know of their divine magnificence, that must be honoured. If somebody chooses to uh, believe something in particular, that's okay. That might be their journey for this lifetime. If somebody chooses through their free will to step into their multidimensional magnificence and explore the universe from their own unique perspective, that too is the exercising of free will. So it's like all of this is waiting for us and we awaken in a way that we decide we're ready to do. Thank you, Pete. I love this model. It is simple and elegant and ties everything together for me. I do have, in fact, a question about free will versus destiny. Sure. 
which is one of my favorite topics. Now, you do talk about free will in your book, but I will pretend that I haven't read it. <laughs> okay. As I'd like to explore this topic a bit more. Yes. I know that many people are interested and intrigued by this dichotomy or perceived dichotomy of free will and destiny. Do we have one or another or both? One could say that our destiny is what we choose to create, which effectively means applying our free will. However, in my life experience and understanding, that's not quite how it works. What my experience and insight tell me is that we incarnate into a life with a blueprint of our destiny, which is agreed to at the soul level, while we are in spirit between lives, with our guides and spiritual counsel, etc. Now, we can change this blueprint, if we choose to, to an extent. I believe that there is a handful of events in our destiny, karmic events they call them, or non-negotiables, that we cannot remove or change, neither the nature nor the timing. These are usually significant events, such as moving to another country, marrying a particular person at the specific time, or even being in the right place at the right time to save someone's life. I feel that we have anything between two to ten such karmic events in our destiny that we cannot change. Before I ask you to share your thoughts on this, I'd like to highlight one important aspect of the notion of free will, which is usually hidden from view. Yes, we do have 100% free will as a soul which we exercise mostly between the incarnations when we are designing the blueprint of our destiny. We can choose whatever we want to experience, but once we are born and committed to this blueprint, the margin of our conscious free will as a personality in human body goes down dramatically, especially with those non-negotiable karmic events that we simply have to go through. So what are your thoughts on this? We know from the research at the Newton Institute and Michael Newton's work, and I'm, let me offer the listeners what I'm drawing on there in his books, Journey of Souls, Destiny of Souls, and there's been a few others published by the Newton Institute since then. His original case load that he based his work on was 7,000 cases. Since that time, the people in the Newton Institute around the world in 40 countries doing the work in 20 languages, there's about another 60,000 cases that have taken place. And whilst they're not all in a mega cabinet in the United States where the organisation's <laughs> based, they're held in, in little clinics all around the world in the, the practices of, of the people of the organisation. So it's a very well-documented uh, phenomenon that is people... Um, plan their lives before they come. Uh, you, yes, you could refer to it as a blueprint. So they have a, a general direction. Now, now my, ex, explore, my understanding of that from having worked with, with lots of clients over the years is that no one arrives here with a, a life purpose that you're going to become the Prime Minister of Australia on the 21st of August 2028. Um, that's not a, a life purpose. A life purpose is that you're here to learn about leadership. 
Now, you might end up being the Prime Minister of Australia through a whole series of um, synchronicities, predestined events and your own free will. You might also end up running a team in a coffee shop or you might, um, you know, um, lead a Cub Scout group into the bush for, you know, um, exercise and that sort of stuff. So you might simply just lead a family. So there might be so many different ways in which you can express it. So I sense that we come here with an overall um, list of things that we want to learn. And in doing so, we make a contribution to humanity. Now, with these life events that you mentioned, yeah, I've heard that said to me a lot of times over the years as well. And people have said, I always knew my mum was going to pass away early in life. Or I always knew that my sister wouldn't be here for a long time. And people will say things like that. Now, even though that's predestined and that is set up by ourselves before we get here at the level of our soul, where free will cuts in, uh, from my view, is that how we respond to those events when they arise. And that's our free will. Do you go this way? Do you go that way? Do you deal with it? Do you suppress it? Do you, you know, do something about it? Do you try to solve it? These events that arrive are opportunities for us to create free will responses for our learning. Now, if you look at the theory of alternate realities, and you know, I've explored this a lot as well, and it's in the book, you may make a decision against one of those uh, predestined events, or you may just make a general decision, and you may decide to go this way or that way, A or B. A and, a and B unfold under the laws of the multiverse that every time we make a decision, we go in both directions and we create another reality. And that those alternate realities are there. So even though we may have made a decision against one of these predestined events, the other part of that decision, the other direction, exists out there somewhere. And under a guiding hand, you can actually access it and see how it came out in the other direction. And I've done a lot of that work with people over the years where they've said, what would have happened if... And it might be back to those beautiful life-changing decisions. There might have been one where you were going to move countries or you had an opportunity to move countries. Perhaps there are no realities out there in the universe where somebody didn't. But, you know, what did, which country did they go to? So the predestined event is that you will not stay in the country of your birth, but then the free will decision could be, where do you go after that? Do you do Australia, New Zealand, Canada? What could it be? So I guess what the more of this work that I do over the years, the more I understand the fluidity of it. I understand two things. I, I understand that... Um, once we have certainty about something, we've, we've sort of lost our grip on the uncertainty and the um, diversity of the universe because everything exists in all of its different expressions. So the first thing, uh, that's it. So the first thing I've realised is that it's, the further you go into it, the more fluid you have to be to, uh, to leverage what you find. And the second thing is that it's really hard to understand how the universe works by using this human intellect and that we are potentially not advanced enough as a species 
to be able to truly grasp exactly how the universe works. And look, I laugh sometimes, Anna, when people say to me, you know, we've got to find the theory of everything and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> In typical human arrogant fashion, we think we can have one theory that fits the whole multiverse of this incredibly unlimited thing in which we live. Um, but that's science. Sometimes they're a little bit arrogant. Well, there must be a reason for this, and I'm sure we can find some data on that. Well, you know, the human the human intellect seeks the data while the soul seeks to fly. And, um, you know, that duality is part of the challenge of being here as a divine being, having the human experience. Absolutely. I really like your expansion of the definition of free will, Pete, and I think it's beautiful and very important as it goes beyond my expansion to the decision-making in between lives. And most people probably don't think of free will this way. So your extension of the definition of free will to it is our response to what we are facing that is our free will is really beautiful and elegant <laughs> and it deeply resonates with me. It is a new dimension or perhaps a hidden dimension of the concept of free will. I think that once we understand that aspect of free will, then even if someone doesn't accept the notion of life between lives, incarnations, etc., even when they are left with just this one aspect of it, it is your response to what is happening in your life that gives you an opportunity to exercise your free will. Hence, yeah. you do have free will. Absolutely. This is so liberating and empowering. Mm. I really like it. <laughs> and... Yeah. And and look, understanding that the universe is an incredibly fluid ocean of consciousness is important because as human beings, we seek the certainty of answers. And sometimes we have trouble working out what the questions are. So, you know, somebody, um, somebody once came to me with a theory that, you know, and they, you know, they were quite an experienced therapist and they sat down and they said, um, well, you know, my estimate is that we're 60% pre-planned destiny and 40% free will. <laughs> and I said to them, well, what happens if I use up my 40% by the time I'm 30? Does that mean I'm stuck for the rest of my life? And they didn't, they didn't have an answer for me because, you know, they were just, they were trying to be too rigid and it was somebody from a, a rigid mindset and a rigid culture, but I could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to get some certainty in places where, you know, um, uncertainty abounds and, and free will the byproduct of free will is uncertainty. And for us to be able to move through that uncertainty, to realize that we are in control of the uncertainty through our free will, once we take action, that's something else that sets us free. I'd like to repeat this, Pete. When we realize that we are in control of uncertainty through our free will, once we have taken action, that's something else that sets us free. Beautiful. I feel that this is one of the biggest challenges for human beings with our limited intellect to accept and embrace uncertainty. 
because our conscious mind, our ego, wants certainty. Absolutely. And if there is something uncertain, unfamiliar, unplanned, we feel uncomfortable. And if this is actually required as a prerequisite to stepping into this expanded field of understanding that we need to feel comfortable with uncertainty, that's huge and a big task for a lot of people. And and it's very topical just now, Anna, with all that's happening in the world and people mm. who had certainty through their profession or their income or, or you know, the fact yes. that they could go where they wanted, when they wanted and all of that sort of stuff. There's, you know, we're being given an incredible opportunity at the moment to face the world that is in probably the most uncertain of our lifetimes. Um, we didn't live through world wars and, and that sort of stuff, but... You know, in, in living memory for me, I've never seen as much uncertainty around. And it's this is a significant test of character for humanity. And I think it's our free will and how we decide to be and how we decide to think that's going to get us through it. What are your thoughts on the purpose of this global pandemic, um, a deeper purpose? Well, you know, it's really interesting that, um, and I don't want to sort of do any spoiler alerts here, but we are doing a research project out of the Michael Newton Institute at the moment that's asking some of those particular questions and I've been part of that research study as um, as a participant and as a, a researcher. My take on this is that and I, and I want to transcend the political conversation at the moment and all the things that are happening in the world but I believe this is an awakening of consciousness and I believe that for people who have had to reassess so much about where they're at and what's important to them is a global phenomenon at the moment. And that can only lead to an awakening. Um, not everyone's ready to awaken and, and that's okay too, because that's free will. And we always honor that though. I sense that there is an incredible awakening happening. And there was a view that we couldn't continue as we were. If we look at, you know, you know the global of, of war, of the global warming agenda is a bit murky depending on who you talk to, but we know the oceans are full of pollution and we know that there's, you know, amazing smog all around the world. We know that, that the planet is struggling. We know that the rainforests are being downsized. We know that the more trees we cut down, the less oxygen there is on the planet. I mean, science tells it, you know, they produce the oxygen and they take our carbon dioxide. So they are our flip side. Stand next to a tree and you've got the whole cycle right there. So we're getting things wrong on this planet and we couldn't continue down this path. So we've been offered an opportunity to reassess at a global level and all the way down to a, a national level, level, cultural level, individual level, though I do sense that life will never be the same again. And I actually think that's a good thing because I think some of the paths we've trodden were dead ends. And for us to, you know, blaze some new trails is really where humanity needs to head. So, in summary, I see this as an incredible awakening, but again, it's down to the free will of us at both the individual and collective levels as to whether we take that opportunity or not. I hope we do.
Absolutely. I call this pandemic a grand pause and a grand reset, because pretty much everything is being reset. Again, as you said, it's up to our free will at the individual, community, nation and global levels, but there is no escape. We cannot not make new choices and decisions and re-evaluations of our life. We are cornered. <laughs> there is no escape. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, strange, it's strange how many people I've spoken to lately, whether they be clients or colleagues or any of the people that I, um, I cross paths with, about how they're saying to me, this is why I came. I've been waiting all my life for this. I came here to be part of the transition of consciousness for humanity and we're in the thick of it. Isn't it great? So, you know, it, it depends on which, and that's free will. You know, I, I choose to see the greater purpose of this reset rather than see uh, the trauma and the derision. And, and you know, I, I, I don't want to cast too many comments, but, you know, I, I, I just think that leaving mainstream media out of your energy field at this time is probably a good thing while you go through your transition because you don't want the flavour of that if you're doing some internal reflections because there's that's probably a more of a vibration of fear that it is that and and we're all worth more than that we're you know we're walking courage because we chose to incarnate on this planet in these times so that had nothing to do with fear and everything to do with courage and if that's the energy under which you incarnated here i'd go with that rather than what's on the tv well said and if you look at nature Every so often, when the bush becomes too dense, there is a bushfire, starting from a lightning strike, with no human intervention, to remove the excess, the old, dry and dead woods, and bring new life to the bush or forest. We see the fire as distraction, and yes, it is distraction, but an important distraction with a purpose. In my earlier podcast episode on the coronavirus experience, I talk about the phoenix rising from the ashes as a metaphor for the spiritual and physical renewal, which I have received as a symbol of the current energy shift on this planet. I agree. And nature is a cycle. And she has cycles. We have summer, winter, autumn, spring. We have an ice age every 10,000 years. We have different shifts in the, the plate tectonics of the planet. We have natural disasters. They call them natural disasters because there's some form of a build-up. Volcanoes erupt when they carry too much energy. Now, we have lost our place in that natural order of the cycles of nature. And we've stepped outside of that and we haven't treated nature well. And we wonder why the things are out of balance. But nature is the most in incredible thing. And, and, you know, I'm looking out my window right now at, into a, a meadow and there's cows there. And, you know, even to take this holographically, take the microcosm and you get the macro. So the micro example that I'll offer is I'm looking at, you know, these cows out there and they eat the grass. And the grass nourishes them and they produce milk and they feed their babies. And, and I, I have the great honour to watch this regularly out in the paddock. And then the, the cows, they take the grass, they turn it into poop. <laughs> they do that. That refertilizes the grass. They eat the grass again. 
they create the milk, they feed their babies, they poop on the grass, the grass grows from their fertilizer. So there's this incredible, just in this one paddock, <laughs> there's this incredible um, cycle of nature where the earth looks after the cows and the cows look after the earth and the earth looks after their babies for them. So, you know, I mean, that's nature. That's the cycle. We're part of nature. We need to reclaim our place as part of the natural order of things and find our way back into that. And that's where we leave my conversation with Peter about quantum consciousness for now. We will continue it in part two of this special bonus episode next week. So stay tuned. That's all for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you really loved it, please post a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to encourage others to listen to it. For the show notes, guest and podcast info, reviews, comments and much more, please visit quantumlivingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to dive deeper into quantum living and explore how you could work with me, please contact me and I'd be delighted to help and support you on your quantum journey. I am your host, Anna Anderson. I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode of Quantum Living. Until then, keep your vibrations high and be well.